Rewind. Well, anyway, I was at a grocery store. I was talking to the lady there, and she was bummed that there was no snow. I said, why are you bummed that there's no snow? You've got these new snow boots. And I haven't had a chance to try them out. You know, I said, we live in Michigan. It's going to happen. Snow's coming. Cold winds are coming. Winds are coming. It's just a matter of time, right? If you just drive five more miles, I'm sure it'll get there. But here we are at the last Sunday of the year. And we have so many things to be thankful for, don't we? Thank God for Pastor Billy. And uh, while he's away, we can pray for him and his wife and family that God would give him seasons of rest. In fact, that's what I want to talk to you about today are seasons. For as those of us here who love snow, I, I'll pray for you. I'm not very much a fan of snow. I know it's good for skiing and snowmobiling and snowball fights. But after that, I, I don't want any more because I don't want to drive in it. But winter will ultimately have to give way to spring. And spring will ultimately give way to summer if you hold on just long enough. And ultimately, seasons come and seasons go and time keeps marching on. Calendars change. Weeks come and weeks go. And while environmentally speaking, we find ourselves in winter, every one of us here is personally in a different kind of season. Perhaps like the weather, it's cold and wintry in the season of your life. Perhaps it's warm and sunny in your life, but we're all in a different kind of season. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where we're going to take a look at the first 12 verses of this book, this book written by King Solomon, and it's essentially a journal of his life. He asked, he became king of the land of Israel after his father David, and he asked God for wisdom, and God gave him amazing amount of wisdom. He was the wisest man on the earth, and he used that wisdom to experiment with life to find out what brought pleasure and satisfaction to life. And in fact, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find in the first two chapters, Solomon looks at life under the sun. And in all the first two chapters, you find him looking at different aspects of life under the sun. And by under the sun, Solomon means a life without God. What would life look like if God were, was not in the equation? What does life and man look like if there was no God and we lived in our own resources and we lived with our own skills? And what's interesting is Solomon comes to the same conclusion that you and I and modern man comes to, but he does it 3,000 years earlier. And that is man living by himself, living in his own resources and in his own strength without God is vanity. It's meaninglessness. In fact, if I can read for you chapter 2 and verse 17, here is Solomon's conclusion. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. If I can put it in more modern terms for us, what Solomon is saying is life's a bummer. Life's a bummer. And in chapter 3, things change, and that's where we're going to park for the few minutes we have together. In chapter 3, Solomon no longer looks at life under the sun, but he now expands that horizon to looking at life under the heaven. And when he does that, he's no longer looking at life without God. He's now including God in the equation. If life without God was very much vanity and meaningless, God, life with God is no longer that way, but life with God is full of meaning, but it's also full of confusion. Life is confusing. Life doesn't make sense. Life's not fair. Anyone agree? Two of you? Yeah. Thank you. 
Life isn't fair. It's very confusing. God doesn't tell us why he does what he does. And in the first 12 verses, Solomon gives us a truth that we can park with, and I hope you will take home today, and that is we can trust God in every season of life. That no matter what season we find ourselves in, we can trust God in every season of life. Let me read for you the first 12 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing and a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Verse 9 says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. I want to share with you three principles from this passage of why we can trust God in every season of life. And the first is that God is sovereign in every season of life. Every one of us is in a season. Perhaps it's a season of plenty or a season of poverty. Perhaps it's a season of health or a season of sickness. A season of joy or a season of weeping. Or a season of pleasure or a season of pain. Or whatever season you happen to be in today, we are all physically in a different kind of season, every one of us. And perhaps you're in the middle of a season and you're turning the chapter to a new season, but whatever that case may be, every one of us is in a season. If you look at this list of seasons, and that's what we have here in the first eight verses, there are a list of seasons. If you had to pick, what would you pick? I know what I would pick. I'd pick the ones that bring me happiness and pleasure. I would skip all the ones that give me grief or pain. How about you? Right? Look at the list. I, I know what I'd pick. I'd pick Healing and building and laughing and embracing. By the way, laughing, laughing so hard that I cry, that kind of crying is okay. Everything else is right out, right? Um, or dancing, although if you see me dancing, perhaps you'll cry. I, I don't know. Um, but be that as it might, we would pick all the things that bring us, help me out, joy, pleasure, happiness, because we don't want the pain. We don't. Anybody want pain? Nobody. Because we don't want to be sad. We don't want to have pain. We want to skip all that for the pleasure. And yet Solomon, for the first two chapters of this book, has told us that the pursuit of pleasure brings man to ruin. In fact, G.K. Chesterton, a, man, a theologian from the 1900s, said it this way. Meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. It comes from being weary of pleasure. Someone much more contemporary to us, Ravi Zacharias, said it this way, I'm absolutely convinced that meaningless does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure, and that is why we find ourselves emptied of meaning with our pantries still full. 
I know what some of you are thinking. Give me a shot. Fill me full of pleasure. Fill me full of joy. And let me decide. Right? Because that's what I'm thinking. And yet Solomon, this whole book, is nothing about, nothing but the fact that the pursuit of pleasure brings man to vanity, to meaninglessness, that there's no meaning, there's no purpose in the pursuit of pleasure. That it, it actually ruins us. And what Solomon says here in these verses is that it's God who chooses the seasons of our lives, the ones that we like and the ones we don't like. The ones that bring us joy and the ones that bring us pain. It's God who sovereignly orchestrates and designs each season and puts us in those seasons. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 20 says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Our problem is that God is sovereign. He orchestrates these things, and that's okay. If he would just schedule them into my calendar so I knew what was coming, then I could get ready for them. Amen? I just wish God would do that, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't tell us what he's doing. He doesn't tell us what's coming. He creates the season, and he puts us in that season, and he expects, expects us to go through that season. God is sovereign in every season, and we can trust him in every season of life. Second reason we can trust God is that God has a purpose for every season. And most of the time, I look at the season of life that I'm in, and I'm always, I'm always upset because I want another season. I'm never happy where I am. I'm always pushing at the season I'm in because I want to get to the next season, always hoping that the next season is better than the one I'm in. I remember growing up, I always just, if I could just get my driver's license and a car, I would be free. I could go where I want. Then if I could just get a car, not just a car, I want a job. I want money so I can buy what I want, right? wasn't just... Give me some money, God. I want, I want a job. And then it wasn't happy enough. And I said, Lord, if I could just get married, wouldn't be so lonely and struggle so much, right? Only to find out that I got my driver's license and a car, but I wasn't going anywhere. Traffic, construction, all year. I wasn't going anywhere. And then I got a job and I got money and I bought stuff. And I bought more stuff. <laughs> and debt, and credit cards, and, but nobody told me, and then I got married? Wasn't this supposed to fix everything? How come none of this satisfied? How come nothing ever filled the gap? And it was always pushing, and then I'd look at somebody else's seat, and look at them. Thank you for sitting there. Aren't they beautiful? Look at what they're wearing, and look at how well put together they are, and look at the vacations they take, and Oh my goodness, their Facebook page, oh man, unbelievable. God, could I have that? Now, don't tell me, I, I, I'm using them as the example, but don't we look around? God, wow, look at them. They're going everywhere. They're buying all this stuff. They seem so happy. Their children are so put together. How come I don't have any of that? Nobody here? Just me. It's okay. It's okay always looking for a different season than the one I'm in. And no matter what it looks like, we always want something else. You know, someone once told me that grass always looks greener on the other side. You've heard that, right? 
but someone always has to mow the lawn. Still got to mow the lawn. We don't see the pain and the toil and the work it took them to get to where they are. We don't see the fight that it took them to get all those good things. We don't even see the fight they're in now. We only see the good stuff. Every season has a struggle. Every season has pain. We just have to look to the God who has a purpose for every season. If you look at the list of verses here from verses 2 through 8, you find that there are 14 pairs of seasons here. There are 14 pairs. And every pair is a contrast. Time to kill, a time to heal, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. They're, they're in perfect balance. And you know, if you summed every one of those seasons, every one of those contrasting pairs up, you know what you would sum them up to? They would sum to zero. It sums to nothing. And what Solomon's saying is all of the work and all of the toil and all of the effort we put into life, it amounts to nothing. Zero. Thanks, Solomon. That was so encouraging, isn't it? That all of this that we do in life amounts to nothing. But Solomon doesn't leave us there. Look at the next verse. By the way, he's trying to get us to see something important. He's trying to get us to see that we are not in control, even though we like to think we are. We aren't in control. Solomon continues in verse 10. He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. What he's saying is even though everything amounts to zero and everything that we do ends up being nothing in the end, ultimately it's God who makes everything beautiful in his time. The, the toil, the work, the pain, and the pleasure, everything God orchestrates to bring about his beauty in our lives. The things that cause us pain and problems, they're not curses. They're not things that we've got to get out of. God has designed that season. God has designed that pain. That God has designed that obstacle in your life and has crafted it and put you in it so that he can mold you and to shape you and to change you into being a blessing so that you can move with that blessing into other people's lives. There's a purpose behind that season because God is sovereign. For every heartache and for every headache, for every tear shed in every season, there is a purpose, and the question is, are you willing to trust in a God who is a purposeful, intentional God, who has crafted that season for you? The year was 1985. There was a 13-year-old immigrant boy living in Michigan. He had an older brother, a younger sister. His father was a pastor, the only breadwinner in the family. His mother uh, was a homemaker, didn't speak much English, didn't drive, didn't work. And they had been in the country for nine years, and they, they came from India, and they hadn't had a chance to go back home to visit relatives and parents. And so they decided that in 1985, in the beginning of the year, that they would pool their resources and buy five tickets so that they could go back and visit family and parents that they'd left behind. They bought suitcases, and they started filling suitcases, and with very little money that they had, barely enough to make ends meet, but they pulled enough together. And the goal was, after school was out in June, they would drive up to London, Ontario, and take a flight from London to India by way of Heathrow. And everything was going well, and the suitcases were getting filled slowly, but ultimately at the end of April, his father had a heart attack. And the beginning of May, the boy's father had died. And the family's thinking, Lord, what happened? Didn't we pray about this? Didn't we buy these tickets thinking this was your will? Lord, where did we go wrong? What are you doing? Why? Have you ever asked those questions? Lord, what are you doing? 
and their family is weeping and not, not able to go to India and use those tickets anymore, they took those tickets and gave them to someone else. But before they did that, people would come over and they would try to encourage them and console them. And in, in the middle of consoling, they would say to his mother, you know, you can't survive in America without money. You don't speak English, you don't drive. I mean, how are you going to survive? Maybe God made a mistake in bringing you here. You know, you've got five tickets. Why don't you just go back and just not come back? Ha, oh, thanks. Isn't that wonderful encouragement? Crying and weeping, not sure what God is doing. They took those tickets and gave them away because his mother was a praying woman. And after prayer one day, she came to the family and said, you know, my God doesn't make mistakes. God brought us to this country, and this country is where we'll stay. And so they stayed, not knowing how they would survive, not knowing how they would get along, but they gave those tickets away. And when school closed on, on June, uh, i got to look now because I forgot the date. On June 23rd, 1985, flight, Air India Flight 182 took off from London, Ontario. And that plane carrying a full complement of passengers just before it got over Irish airspace exploded in midair because of a terrorist bomb. And that plane plunged to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean never to be recovered. No body was ever recovered. What was God doing? What was God doing? Where was God? Do you know how I know that story so well? I'm that little boy. Over 30 years has gone by, and I'm standing here to tell you that God has a purpose in every season. That is why in Romans 8, 28, God says, For all those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose, all things work together for good. I'm living testimony to the fact that there is a purpose for every season. God has designed and carefully and purposefully and intentionally created seasons for a purpose. And God took my father home to preserve me on the face of this earth with my family so that I can tell you that God has a purpose in every season of life. Everything that happens has a purpose because God is an intentional God. Let me tell you the third reason we can trust God, and that's because God's strength is available in every season. And if you look at the middle of verse number 11, Solomon says also he has put eternity into man's heart. You know, this is a very profound statement, that God has put a slice of infinity into the heart of every human being. You know, no other creature on the face of the planet is as restless as a human being. No other creature created in the planet struggles with the questions of origin and meaning and morality and destiny like you and I do. We want to know the what and the how and the whys of life. We want to know the reason things happen. And we look out from ourselves, and we look out from all of that we can see, smell, taste, and touch, and we wonder, is there more to life than this? And the answer is, yes, there is more to life than this. There's so much more, and we try to fill that void with so much stuff and activity and junk, thinking we can just fill it full of other things, and all the while, God says, no, none of that satisfies because it's eternity and everything you're trying to fill it with is temporal. And God has placed it there in our hearts so that it can draw us to the only person in the universe that can fill it, and that's God. God's the only one big enough to fill that void of eternity in our hearts. Augustine said it this way, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they learn to rest in thee. No matter how much we live or strive or seek after other things, nothing fills that heart void like Jesus can. 
And so Solomon continues to say, He has put eternity to man's heart, yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them <clears throat> than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. You know, this verse isn't very much fun for us. Because what God says is, I've done something, I'm doing something, I'm going to go do something, and you can't know the beginning from the end. And that bothers me. Because I'm very nosy. You've heard this, the verse, Deuteronomy 28, 28, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, right? You've heard that verse. I hate that verse. Because I'm nosy. I want to know why. I want to know how. I want to know what's coming. And God says, I'm not telling you. Thanks, God. That's always wonderful. God says, I'm doing a work in your life and you can't see it. He is weaving a tapestry. I would like to get a peek. But he says, no, trust me. I'm purposeful. I'm sovereign. I'm doing a work in your life. You just have to play along. I don't like that very much, but that's what God does. I keep asking God. I will ask God till the last day I die. Lord, show me. But he's going to keep saying the same thing he always does. Abe, no. You don't need to know. I have put you in that season so you can go through that season. And I go, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I don't have the strength to go through this season of pain. And God says, you don't have to do it alone. You were not designed to do it alone. God says, just lean on me. Take of my strength. I've got more strength than you need. Just take of my strength, but you have to surrender to me. And I hate that because it bothers me that I can't do it on my own. And God stands next to me and says, no, just lean on me. I've got an inexhaustible supply of strength. All you have to do is surrender and take of my strength to help you walk through every season of life. God has strength available in every season. We don't have to go through these seasons alone. God promises to give us his strength if we would be just willing to surrender. And that's the only way that we can do what Solomon tells us to do here, and that is to be joyful and to do good as long as we live. And we can only do that if we surrender and take of his strength. I've already told you that in 1985, at the beginning of May, my dad passed away. One of the things I find in, in God's economy is that God never wastes any time. Usually when you're done with one season, he turns the page and you're in smack dab into the middle of another season. And it's now the middle of July. I celebrate a birthday. And with birthday comes something special for my family. It's the season of chicken pox. Now, this is a long time ago, you know, before, you know, where dinosaurs walked on the earth. And, um, you know, we didn't have, at least at that time, we didn't know about vaccinations or at least for the chicken pox. And so we all caught chicken pox. And one of the things about chicken pox is nobody comes over to visit you. So here you are. You're, you're still crying. You're still wondering what God is doing. <coughs> and all the while, you got chicken pox. And you know what? It's normal, right? It goes for a couple of weeks, and then blackheads happen, and then you, you're out, and you're about. And that's the story for everybody in the house except for me. Chickenpox loved me. It didn't want to let go. I mean, it just didn't want to let go. My, my brother and sister and mother, they're, they're fine. They're healthy. They're out. They're about. It's summertime. They're having fun. Me? I'm in the room. And remember, it's 1985. We didn't have the internet. I didn't have Facebook. We didn't have all of PS4s and all this stuff. I didn't have Facebook. We didn't have, we had seven channels on TV and a book. That's what life was like, for me at least, in 1985. We didn't have cable. It's a lot different today, isn't it? A lot different today. But back then, you had a book and you had seven channels. Take your pick. I remember one day, 
it was eventually starting to go. Blackheads had started to appear. And I remember sitting in my bed in my room. I'm reading. It's the only thing I could have done. So I was reading, and I remember in the afternoon, I'm starting to lose my vision. My vision is going blurry. I'm reading the page, and the letters are starting to look funny. And I shake my head, and I rub my eyes, and it's not working. And, and I go, well, something's wrong. And so my sight is blurry. I can't focus on the words on the page. And so I said, you know, Mom knows everything. I'll go ask Mom. I get up off the bed, and no sooner do I put weight on my feet that I fall. What's going on? I have no strength, and I use the bed and the dresser and the door and the walls and half crawl, half walk to the kitchen where my mother is, and I can see her. She's, she's got her back to me at the countertop. She must be cutting up something in the kitchen, and I say to her, Mother, something's wrong, and she turns around in a panic to look. At least that's what it looked like. And she said, what did you say? And I tried to say, I said, something's wrong. What I said was something's wrong, but what came out was pretty much garbled. She, in a panic, came over and grabbed me, and she sat me down in the couch, and she said, sit there, I'll make some tea, because tea will cure anything in an Indian household. And so she went over to the kitchen, she made tea, and she brought the tea over to me, and I grabbed the tea, and she let go, and the tea crashed to the ground. I had no strength. What's going on? She panicked. She called a friend, a nurse. She came over. She took one look at me, rushed me to the emergency room. And remember, I still have the last stages of chicken box. Nobody wants to talk to me. They put me in quarantine. An hour and a half later, somebody brave enough, wonderful young lady comes in to take a look at me. She has no idea what's wrong. They take blood work. They take spinal fluid. They take all kinds of things. I'm in the hospital for a couple of days. You know, the first couple of days is fun, right? You, people come, you get flowers, you get cards, people come visit you, you eat whatever they give you, some of that stuff is new, and then it gets boring. Four days into the, four or five days into the, into the hospital visit, there's no news. What's going on? Finally, the doctor comes back and says, um, we finally figured out what's wrong. He has what's called, or a strain of Guillain-Barre syndrome. If you don't know what Guillain-Barre syndrome is, your body normally creates antibodies to fight off viruses and infections. That's what your body is normally created to do. But in a Guillain-Barre syndrome situation, your body, after it fights off the infection, decides you haven't had enough antibodies, so it keeps producing more and more and then more, and it doesn't have anything else to fight. And so for me, it went up and it parked itself in my sensory area of my brain, and it threw a party which is why I couldn't really speak and couldn't really see and couldn't really walk and have sensory and motor skills because that's where it went and had a party. And Guillain-Barre syndrome affects now more people, but back then it was one in a couple of million people, and it affects different people in different ways. And so my mother said, so what's, what's the prognosis? What happens? In her broken English, she asked, doctor, what's going to happen? Doctor said, well... There's a 50-50 chance. 50% chance he'll stay this way, and a 50% chance he'll get better. Now, you're looking at me, you know the story. <laughs> Praise God. But, but, but it's 1985. Just lost your father. I'm now lying in a bed, and the doctor says there's a 50% chance I'll stay this way, and a 50% chance I'll get better, but he won't get back to 100%. God, why do you heap pain on top of pain, on top of pain. Isn't this enough? Wasn't taking my dad home enough? 
Why does it have to be tears upon tears upon tears? My mother is weeping. My family is weeping. The church is weeping. Relatives are weeping. God, what are you doing to this family? What's wrong? Where are you? And nothing's happening. And then the doctor would come in with a bunch of interns and their notepads and they'd make you hold a pencil and try to read up this and do this. And they've never seen it before. So all these interns at the hospital are taking notes. And she'd come in with different groups every week because I was in there for several weeks. And I remember one night, my mother wakes me up and said, Hey, wake up. Wake up. I said, Mom, what time is it? Uh, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. 3 o'clock in the morning? Can't, what, do you, what do you want, Mom? Abe, I think you need to dedicate your life for ministry. At 3 o'clock in the morning? Can't this wait till morning? No, no, no. You need to dedicate your life for ministry. I think that's what God is asking of you. Mom, I'm 14. I got places to be and things to do. Why now? Can't it wait till 30? No, I pulled the covers over my head and I went back to bed. Every day, morning and night, Abe, you need to dedicate your life to ministry. Mom, no, I'm not doing that. And no change. I'm still half paralyzed, half mumbling. I'm really unable to see much. Abe, wake up. You need to dedicate your life to ministry. Nothing's changing, and I figured, you know, what's the harm? I said, Mom, okay. I made a decision in my heart I would do that. I already knew I was going to go into ministry someday, follow my father's footsteps. I knew that. I thought I could wait a little longer. But there I was, 14 years of age, in a hospital bed, and my mother's insistent urging to dedicate my life. And before God and His Holy Spirit, I on the bed, she next to me held my hand and we prayed a prayer of dedication. I said, Lord, I submit my life for ministry. Whatever you have for me, wherever you have for me, whenever you want me to do it, I'm your man. That's what I prayed. I said amen, and no sooner did I say amen than in, within three days, I was up and out of bed and out of that hospital room walking out on my own strength. Why? Because I surrendered my life to him. Because I don't know where you are. I know you're not in a hospital, but I don't know what your life story is, and I don't know where God has you today. But perhaps he's knocking at your door saying, would you just surrender? Surrender to my call. Surrender to my urgings. Surrender to that still, small voice that's been telling you to do something for him. Just take of his strength. He'll carry you through. And while it happened to me that way, as dramatic as that was, that's just an example for you. It's God's story in my life. God can give you the strength if you will but surrender to him. When you find yourself in a tough season, learn to trust in the sovereignty of an almighty God who's there with you that you can trust, knowing that he's created that season for you to shape you and to mold you and to make you into a man or a woman of God that he can use in the lives of other people. There's an old song we don't sing very much anymore. It says this, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. 
as thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. The second stanza goes like this, summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Do you know the chorus? Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, it starts with him. He paid a penalty that you and I could never pay so that we might have a relationship with God that we didn't deserve. If you don't know Jesus Christ, Today, while it may be the last Sunday of this year, could be the start of a brand new life for you with God. It can start today. Stop fighting Him. Take of His strength. He's there. His faithfulness never fails. His mercies are new this morning. That's why you're here today. Why don't you accept Him by faith and start a new life with Him? For those of you who do know Jesus Christ, I'm so thankful for every one of you. And no matter what season you might find yourself in, whether you're crying or smiling, know that God is sovereign and that he has a purpose in that season and he wants you to trust in his strength to carry you through. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this last day of 2018, this last Sunday of 2018. And while this year has had its ups and downs, the one constant has been you. You have been the same yesterday, you are the same today, and you will be the same God in 2019. And as a result, we can trust you. We trust in your sovereignty. We trust in your purposes. And we thank you for your strength. May you enable each one of us to trust you. Not leaning on our own wisdom or our own understanding or our own strength. But taking out from your inexhaustible supply of strength to live each and every day. May your blessing and your grace be upon each one of us. And send us forth from here with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.